Alrighty then, the new and better podcast, episode 19. Here's the tease. Often we think, when we think about rule, we think about basically having your enemies banished. That you're, you're, if your enemies have been defeated, they've been destroyed, they don't exist anymore. If, if you're ruling, the enemies are gone. But this is a different kind of rule that the psalmist is foreseeing here. This psalmist is seeing a kind of rule that takes place in the middle of enemies that still exist. Congratulations. Through the powerful providence of a benevolent benefactor, you've stumbled onto this delicious digital bouillabaisse. Hosted by yours truly, hipster grandfather, David A. Holland. Here, we explore the too-good-to-be-true, poorly understood, badly neglected realities of what Jesus actually launched 2,000 years ago. A new covenant, a better covenant, based on better promises. So, check your religion at the door, grab a beverage, grab a Bible, strap in, gird your loins. This is the New and Better Podcast. We've been talking about the fact that you know we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. We've been all over the Word. We're going to be all over the Word again tonight. Lots of Bible. Have your Bible in either paper or electronic form handy. Just by way of, of review, first, tonight's teaching is King Jesus ruling in the midst of his enemies, and we'll see the relevance of that here in just a moment. Uh, by way of review, a couple of the key scriptures we've uh, been standing on over the last few weeks. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. Jesus, this is after his resurrection, said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Uh, he says past tense, and uh, both in heaven and on earth. And then Ephesians 1, 23, Paul said, And he, uh, God, put all things in subjection under his, Jesus' feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Uh, last week we saw that Jesus' kingdom, there were three aspects to Jesus' kingdom, uh, and some of this is, uh, I think we saw overwhelming biblical evidence that this is true, that the kingdom of Jesus is present, progressive, and power advanced. And by present, I mean that it, it, his rule has begun. His rule is active. It, it's, he's, he's, he's not waiting to start ruling, even here on earth. His rule has already begun. It's present. That it's progressive. That basically it's an unfolding, expanding, growing thing. We saw example after example after <coughs> example throughout the Bible uh, last week that pointed to in the Old Covenant and in the Old Covenant types, the Old Covenant symbols and stories that the a kingdom begins but then grows and expands over time so that it's progressive and that it's characterized or marked by power that we saw over and over again in the scripture as well that uh, when uh, that expressions of holy spirit power basically advance the kingdom and where the kingdom advances we see god's power uh, in place uh, we saw that this is why dispensationalism has been so damaging to the church's influence and effectiveness over the last hundred years or so. By moving the king's rule, the kingdom, to the future, they've removed the purpose of power in the church because that is why uh, the power exists is for basically uh, for the advancement of the kingdom. 
We saw that God's works invariably unfold in three stages, judicial, uh, incremental, and final. Another way to say that is that they're, they're definitive. Basically, God does the, d- defines something. He establishes it as true and uh, legally valid. Then that progressively unfolds, and then the time comes when it's ultimately consummated. And we see this, we saw this in many different dimensions, including in salvation itself. Uh, there are scriptures that refer to salvation in the past tense. We have been saved. There are scriptures that refer to salvation as if it's an unfolding uh, experience. We are being saved. And there are scriptures that, that speak of salvation as if it's future tense, that at that time we will be saved. And all of those are, can be true at the same time. We can be saved. We can be being saved. And we can have a future coming toward us where we are saved. And all three of those things can be true at the same time. And finally, we saw that reigning in life, uh, we looked at the scripture where it, uh, the passage of scripture that talked about how we reign in life with Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, means two things. Restoration of God's original dominion mandate and the overcoming of Jesus' enemies. And we finished last week's teaching with a cliffhanger. That, that if extending the kingdom of God, if advancing the kingdom, the progression of the kingdom means the overcoming of Jesus' enemies, who are these enemies? Who or what are these enemies that are going to be overcome? So with that in mind, we're ready to start again. That is a, a review of a whole lot of teaching over the last few weeks. Look at uh, the 110th Psalm. It's really a remarkable passage of Scripture. I have it on the screen as well, but you want to go there because we're going to dig a little deeper than just these first two verses tonight. Psalm 110, it's a psalm of David, and it's a messianic psalm. In the New American Standard, it reads, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies rule in the midst of your enemies. The New Living Translation said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your powerful kingdom from Jerusalem. You will rule over your enemies. There's a couple of things I want to point out about that. We really want to unpack that passage a little bit. But before we do, it's important to note that this verse that we just read is quoted or referenced more times in the New Testament than any other Old Testament verse or passage. Seven, seven times it's referenced. And actually, if you look, there are actually more references to it than that. But, but there are at least seven times where it's quoted or referenced explicitly in the New Testament more than any Old Te- other Old Testament First or passage. Is it out of line to say then that maybe this passage of scripture holds some truth and light for us to illuminate our new, the New Testament theology, New Covenant theology, if it's a verse or a passage that's quoted more than any other Old Testament? Maybe not. So let's unpack it a little bit and actually go a little bit deeper into this psalm, and then we'll look at we'll look at some of those seven references in the New Testament in just a minute. First of all, in verse 1, the Lord, and uh, that Hebrew word there, Yahweh, says to my Lord, 
different Hebrew word, Adonai, sit at my right hand. In other words, uh, Yahweh says to my Adonai, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Thrones often had footstools associated with them. Uh, in the email and the, and the Facebook post I sent out, uh, there was actually a, a kind of a Renaissance Baroque era throne there that actually had a footstool. Uh, it's, it's not uncommon. But there's something very uh, common in the Old and New Testament about having things under your feet. We're going to see that over and over again, that when things are under your feet, that means that you basically have conquered them, you've overcome them, you're the boss of them. This footstool or under the feet a type of sim symbolism and um, a vocabulary is extremely significant. Then it goes on to say, oh, and by the way, it's, and as the rest of the scriptures we, we see in the, in the New Testament tonight make clear, this is talking about Jesus. This, the Adonai that Yahweh speaks to is, is Jesus. Uh, Jesus declared it, and uh, so does Paul, and so do other writers in the New Testament. We're talking about Jesus. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. Now, this is, this is a, an unusual piece of language right here to rule in the midst of your enemies. Often we think, when we think about rule, we think about basically having your enemies banished. That you're, you're, if your enemies have been defeated, they've been destroyed, they don't exist anymore. If, if you're ruling, the enemies are gone. But this is a different kind of rule that the psalmist is foreseeing here. This psalmist is seeing a kind of rule that takes place in the middle of enemies that still exist. We'll see more about that here in just a moment. Your people will volunteer freely. This is verse 3. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. Now, again, if you, if you dig in, if you have a New American Standard, as a matter of fact, you'll see there'll be a little footnote besides volunteer freely, and there'll be a little footnote besides beside the word power. Because literal translations of the Hebrew words there uh, legitimate translations would be, your people will be a freewill offering. Your people are freewill offerings in the day of your army. Your people will be freewill offerings in the day of your army. We'll come back to that here in just a little bit. Hey, uh, loads of good stuff up ahead, and your gateway to that yummy goodness is a just a little sidebar that we call page two. Hey, just a quick reminder here about a couple of places online where you can find more resources from yours truly, David A. Holland. When you can, you're going to want to point your browser over to davidaholland.com, and there you'll find links to my latest and best resources created to help you live the sweet life, a life of rest and peace and supernatural impact. You'll also find a place to drop me your email address and get alerts about special events, free resources, and occasionally more of the same encouragement and help you get on this podcast. That's davidaholland.com. Now, back to the topic under review here. The rest of verse 3 says, In holy array, from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. Another way to translate in holy array is in the beauty of holiness. 
Uh, some translate it that way. In the beauty of holiness from the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. So what's being, we've just heard a reference in the first half of the verse to an army. Let's just go back and look at it. In the day of your army. Uh, so it's talking about this army of, of people who volunteer freely. There's some symbolism that's being invoked here. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, David is a guy who, when he was sort of an outlaw out in the, uh, out in the wilderness fleeing from Saul, had people who would gather to him, basically. David's, David's kingdom, his rule, his tribal rule, actually grew progressively over time. We talked about this last week. And so different, different groups of people would come to David. They would rally to him and become a part of his army. And they would basically, a group, another group of men would come up and say, we're volunteering for your army, David. So this is something that he had really real life intimate acquaintance with of having somebody basically be a free will part of your of your army and so of this army it says in holy array the suggestion there the imagery there is of 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 being lined up in formation either in battle formation or having been gathered uh in some sort of uh, you know uh regimental uh order and then there's some, some really interesting language here. From the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. If you read the commentaries uh, here, there's just a lot of confusion about what to do with this. There's confusion about how to translate it. There's confusion about exactly what the right, what, what's being suggested here. It's pretty evocative language. From the, we, we don't usually think of the dawn having a womb. But... Part of what's being suggested here is is beginning. Uh, you know, the dawn is the beginning of the day, and the womb is where people begin. So you don't get any more beginninger than the womb of the dawn. The dawn hasn't even been born yet. It's still in the womb. Uh, and from that very, very earliest, earliest beginning point, your youth are to you as, uh, as the dew. Boy, the, the commentary or, uh, writers and the... The expositors just really don't know what, what to do with this. And as I, was, as I was praying about it, the Lord took me to another passage of Scripture. Keep your finger there and slide over to Micah chapter 5. They're in the Minor Prophets. Don't be embarrassed to use the table of contents. Micah chapter 5. What is this uh, business about the do? You are... Uh, there's an army and there's dew involved here. Micah chapter 5, verse 7. Then the remnant left in Israel will take their place among the nations. They will be like dew sent by the Lord or like rain falling on the grass, which no one can hold back and no one can restrain. The remnant left in Israel, that's like the dew, will take place their place among the nations. They will be like a lion among the animals of the forest, like a strong young lion among flocks of sheep and goats, pouncing and tearing as they go with no rescuer in sight. The people of Israel will stand up to their foes and all their enemies enemies, will be wiped out. So part of what's being evoked here uh, is an army that can look like dew. Now, this is going to ring Mark's bell because, you know, he shared with us last week some of the 
the way the encampment of the Israelites in the in the wilderness, the way God had them arranged around the tabernacle, it took the form of, of a cross. And then he talked some about manna. The, the manna that manifested to the Israelite, Israelite encampment, they were basically regimentally arranged around the tabernacle. Something took place before that manna appeared. And what was it? If, if you recall, it's a very minor little detail. What is it, Mark? It's the dew. The Lord said, "I will cause I will cause bread to rain down from heaven." Yes. The dew came down. Yes. As soon as it melted, it manifested into manna. Basically, the the dew became manna uh, from heaven. And then Mark also pointed out that when, if you went to the mountains above the valley where the this this array took place, if you would have looked in the morning. At that, uh, at that arrangement of the tribes in the form of a cross around the tabernacle, you know, you would have seen that shining, shimmering white of the manna, the dewy manna shimmering in the morning sunlight in, in blinding white. But what you also were seeing was the encampment of the armies uh, of Israel. Now, over there, over here, Micah, it's talking about the remnant of Israel. And we'd have to go back and rewind through about a half a dozen of the series that we've we've done here in this passage over, or in this group over the last couple of years about the prophetic ministry of Jesus and the, the priestly and kingly ministry of Jesus to know that the remnant of Israel were those people who heard the message of the gospel in the first century. They heard John the Baptist preaching they heard Jesus' preaching, and they responded to it. That remnant of Israel then came forth out of that Old Covenant system into the New Covenant system. Then Gentiles began to be grafted on to that remnant of Israel. And uh, Paul talks about this at great length in, in both Romans chapter 11 and in Ephesians chapter 2, I think, about the two becoming one. You Gentiles who were who were afar have been brought near and grafted on to uh, the Israel, the, new, the, the remnant of Israel. So that remnant of Israel is the church. The remnant of Israel is the, the Israelites the, the, uh, who heard the message of uh, the preaching of, of John the Baptist and Jesus, responded to it, became emerged from that out of the old covenant into a new covenant with Gentiles being grafted on, that is this remnant of Israel that in Micah as being referred to as a lion, who the way a, if, the way a lion, if you will, a lion went into a pasture full of sheep and just started just tearing, tearing them up. That's what this remnant of Israel is like among the enemies of God. So this do a, now I'm jumping back to, um, to uh, Psalm 110 again, but do a word study on do sometimes. Uh, it's, it's very, very interesting uh, what do is evocative of, but it's frequently a reference to uh, and, and appears in, in oddly in verses about armies and, um, and military things. So it's not unusual to see do here in this militant passage of Scripture. Uh, and and you also see it in the in in Exodus with with the Israelites in Exodus and Numbers with the Israelites in the wilderness. Moving on to verse four, 
The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So here, here in this messianic pas passage that's looking forward to Jesus, right here in the first four verses, we have kingly uh, imagery and language and priestly imagery and language, both. You're obviously a king uh, because you're sitting here at the place of honor and your enemies are being made a footstool for, for your feet. So this is royal, kingly vocabulary. And now, right behind it, we have priestly vocabulary. And we saw in the first session of this series about that king-priest ministry, about how basically Jesus was, was prophesied to be a king-priest. His ministry is both kingly and priestly. Both of those uh, ministries of Jesus began when he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He ever lives there to make intercession for us. That's a priestly ministry that is eternal and ongoing. And he's a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Mel Melchizedek, by the way, uh, for those of you who remember your Genesis, is a compound Hebrew word, Melchizedek. Melchi means king. Zedek means righteousness. So even, even the order of his priesthood has kingly associations with it. Uh, here's just a couple of commentaries uh, about this passage of Scripture. One, Matthew Henry's uh, concise commentary. Uh, you know, Matthew Henry lived uh, from the middle, late 1600s into the early 1700s. He wrote his commentary in the very opening years of the 1800s. Uh, and this is before dispensationalism futurized everything. Uh, so here's what Matthew, Matthew Henry says about this particular passage. Sitting, it's talking about, you know, sit here at my right hand until your enemies have made a footstool for your feet. Sitting is a resting posture, so he's moved into his rest. It's a Sabbath. Uh, after services and sufferings, the services of priesthood, offering his own blood on the, on the heavenly mercy seat, and sufferings. To give law, to give judgment. It's a place where, where he basically rules. It is a remaining posture. He sits like a king forever. All his enemies are now in a chain, but not yet made his footstool. And his kingdom, being set up, shall be kept up in the world, in, in despite of all the powers of darkness. So basically, Matthew Henry looked at this passage and <laughs> saw Jesus' rule as a present reality and as an ongoing reality. Derek Prince preached a sermon. Um, Derek Prince Ministries used to be a, um, a, a client of mine, and one of the benefits that came with that it was basically being given a transcripts of every sermon he ever preached, every radio program he ever ever did that I can uh, that I can search uh, by keyword. And he preached a sermon uh, called "Christ Rules in the Midst of His Enemies" that centered upon this passage of scripture. Here's what Derek Prince said about it: The Bible reveals that's where Christ is at this very moment, talking about it seated at the right hand of the Father. He is at God's right hand, waiting for the Father to make his enemies his footstool. At God's right hand, he has two special ministries, the two greatest ministries available to any person. Those ministries are the ministry of a priest and the ministry of a king. They are of great practical importance for us because I will show you this evening, out of the Bible, that those two ministries are also made available to every believer in Christ. Every believer in Christ is appointed of God, 
to exercise the ministry of a priest and the ministry of a king. Jesus is our pattern, but we are united with him in these two ministries. So that's what we're talking about, is reigning with Christ Jesus because we are seated with him in heavenly places and all rule and authority has been given to him. Okay, permit me to jump in here and interrupt myself one last time. This, by the way, is page three. Did you know that I have a YouTube channel? <laughs> Don't look so astonished. It's, it's true, I promise. There you'll not only find video versions of some of my podcasts, but also lots of shorts. No, not those kinds of shorts. Short videos I've created for social media designed to give you a little dose of encouragement or inspiration. Find me on YouTube by searching at David A. Holland. Then hit that subscribe button. How about it? How very grateful I'll be. That's it for today. Until next time, please remember God is better than you think and you're more loved than you know.